my cuddly little child to crawl up on my knee and ask me to read them a story is now this hairy individual who smells peculiarly and only has one word which is uh. they feel this sort of sense of betrayal and, and loss and you know, we've got to manage that as adults and not let that get in the way of our relationships. Hello, you're very welcome to the Parentline podcast. I'm your host, Kerry McLean. I'm a broadcaster, a Parentline ambassador, and I'm a mum of three. And this is the podcast where we talk all things parenting, both the joys and the challenges along the way, wherever you are on your parenting journey. so great to be back and thank you so much for joining us and whenever I say us I mean me Kerry and Kieran who's with me today Kieran who's a social worker with the children in Northern Ireland it's so lovely to have you for a chat today great to be here Kerry looking forward to a chat and a chat about what can be a really thorny issue in families Kieran communicating Mm. with your teens Absolutely, absolutely. Every time I hear that subject, I remember what my father said to me when I was when I was in my late teens. He said he'd wished I'd gone to my bedroom at age twelve and not come out until I was twenty. Uh, so yeah, a, a really difficult subject for 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 families. But I think we got to remember not all teens are difficult, and not all teens are difficult all of the time. You know, absolutely, a hundred percent. And it, it can be tough for families. It's hard for the the teenagers. It's hard for the parents alike. And the thing that I think can be hardest for parents, speaking personally as well a wee bit, is that it can suddenly feel like your child, who you thought you had a connection with better than anybody else in the world, suddenly just trying to communicate with each other can feel like such a minefield. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But see, they have changed, but you haven't. You know, that, that little child that you nurtured and loved and cared for, it's still in there. But it's changing. And whereas you haven't changed. And I think that's important to remember, you, you know, we are the stability and the security and the love for our children through difficult times. And that shouldn't change for our teenagers. They're changing in response to us, but we shouldn't, we shouldn't change. We still should be that stable, consistent, loving parent. I know it's really hard when they're screaming at you, but you just got to keep saying to yourself, this too will pass. You know, at some point they will become human again and start to communicate <laughs> with me. It's that thing as well. I think we're, it helps whenever you remind yourself that, yes, they have to kind of learn how to take control of their emotions and express mm. themselves. But there's a lot of it where they're, it's really not their choice how they're performing in some ter- in some ways because right. they are under so many physical changes themselves. Yeah, physical and social changes. Yeah. You know, uh, socially, they're... Their magnetic north uh, has switched from you to their friends and social groups. So their their friends become more important than you and the acceptance of their friends and their peer standards become more important than you. And I think a lot of parents feel, if they feel that that's quite difficult to deal with, they can almost feel betrayed. Uh, and the parents' behavior then responds to, to you know, changes in response to their teenagers shifting their emphasis away from them. And then physically, there are a lot of changes going on as well. And it's not just hormones. Everybody focuses on hormones. You know, it's more than hormones. There's a there's a big change going on in their brains. Their brain is changing and, and almost remodeling itself from a, from a child's brain to an adult brain. And those neurobiological changes account for a lot of the behavioral changes. And I think if we can understand what's going on, it helps us as parents put it in perspective so the the child brain has a lot of neural connections and there's a lot of nerves that, that as children learn and grow, you've got all of these sort of amazing neural connections developing within their brain. When adolescence hits, 
the brain starts to change and some of those neural connections start to get cut as it becomes more of a refined machine, for want of a better word, more of an adult brain. So those cutting of the neural connections can sometimes lead to teenagers being bored, being tired, uh, can lead to very concrete thinking, very black and white thinking. So you're always wrong and they're always right. It can lead to obsessions. You know, so some of the behavioral changes are not personal. They're to do with what's going on in the brain and the parts of the brain that are starting to become more dominant. So I think if, you know, as a parent with, with my sons when they were growing up, it really helped to know that because it makes it less personal. It yeah. makes it more, if I understand then I'm better able to manage my feelings and keep an emotional distance from from situations. I think that, I mean, that I, I didn't know that. I didn't, I wasn't aware of the actual physical kind of changes that are happening in their brain at that stage. But that would help me, you know, whenever you are asking your child, oh, I don't know, to pick a tile up off their bedroom floor for the 80th time. And you're yes. thinking, why is this just not going in? Why does, why can, can he or she not process it? If you would just yeah. do this one thing, we could end this this hassle yeah. right now. And yeah. yet, if you know then that there's something maybe that's outside of themselves, outside of their control, then it does help you a wee bit mm-hmm. to go, right, I'm going to take a step back and take a breath here before we yeah. go into round two, you know? That's that's really important. Put things in perspective. I, mean, I used to have this problem with my sons where I would say things to them, like, go up the stairs and bring the laundry down. And, you know, half an hour would pass and I'd find them upstairs wandering about, wondering why they were up there, or getting completely distracted by something else. And it was because... They heard the first bit of what I said, but the second bit, bring the laundry down, just passed them by. And I think if, if I realize that their attention span may have shifted because of these neural connections being cut, then I can take account of that as a parent and I can say, go up the stairs. And then five minutes later, I can shout up, bring the laundry down. So instead of having one complex sentence, we've got two requests, uh, which may be easier for them to process. The other thing you used to irritate me about my sons was how much they slept. Right. Especially, you know, I, I look, looking back on it now, I was probably jealous, you know, but uh, and I used to take it quite personally because I would try and get them jobs to earn a bit of money. And they just seemed to want to lie about the house and sleep and, and eat my food. Uh, and looking back on it now, it was because it was in the, that was the time in their adolescence that there was probably the most remodeling in their brain going on. And, and, and that those long periods of sleeping and that lethargy was was most probably to do with what was going on in their brain. And and they grew out of that and they can, became relatively normal individuals as much as any child that I parent can become relatively normal. You know, so I think if we understand that we can manage it and we can manage ourselves, I think we've got to be, as parents or as caregivers, a consistent feature in our children's lives. They will change, but we've got to be consistent. We've got to be that reliable, safe, secure person that they can depend upon no matter what they do or the person they can run to when things get difficult. And if our relationship becomes damaged because we react to things that are out of our control, then we may become that unsafe person, that person that they don't want to come to. I know my teenagers are going to spend most of their time with their friends. You know, their their tribe, their friends are going to become more important to them. You know, but I need to be there so they can run to me when those friendships break. And those friendships become stressed and strained. If I push them away or I argue with them, I'm pushing them more towards their friends and maybe more towards relationships that are not good for them. Because mm, that's mm. such a toughie as well, Karen. I mean, with teenagers and friends, there's sometimes where <laughs> you try your hardest to to bite your lip. Yeah. You know, where you know your yeah. kids will be telling you something, and then. Right. 
you know, you give a response to what you've heard or, you know, quite often like, a, well, why are you hanging out with that person if they do that? Yeah. And then you get your head bitten off. For, yeah, you know, yeah. and it, it can be really hard uh, to have a discussion with teenagers about about their friends and about what's going on in friend groups. Yeah. Top tip, never criticize their friends. Uh, teen, teenagers, somebody told me one time, I can't remember who it was, so I'm probably taking credit for somebody else here. Somebody said, teenagers need tribes and lighthouses. They need their tribe that is outside of the family. Some people who they can develop their own adult identity with, right? We create the foundation for that as as parents. And then they move into their own tribe. And like any tribe, if someone from outside of the tribe criticizes it, then the tribe becomes defensive. So as a as a parent, we've got to realize that they have joined a different group. They have a different series of identity markers. And, and we shouldn't criticize that. But at the same time, teenagers also need lighthouses. They need these figures that they can plot a course through life with. And as a parent, I have to be a lighthouse. I have to be someone that can give direction to my child and be someone that my child can come to if necessary. But I think one of the things we can also do as parents is to create other lighthouses in our children's lives because they may not want to talk to us about things that are embarrassing for fear that we might criticize them. So maybe what we could do is to identify other adults within or outside of our family or communities that these children can can relate to. I was at a a family funeral last year and uh, I, I had a look around the room in, in the family funeral, everybody socially distanced, uh, etc. And I realized suddenly, at this sort of moment of insight, that there were a lot of men in that room who had played a part in my teenage years. And I realized that my dad had created this sort of mafia of care around me when I was a teenager. When I was starting to go off the rails, he had people, some of his friends who would employ me for a Saturday afternoon or take me fishing, uh, or take me on trips to help them buy stuff. So they had this sort of network of people who who were always keeping me occupied and distracted. And some of those people were people I got help from and guidance from about things that I couldn't talk to my dad about. So as parents, think about, you know, your teenagers will have tribes that are nothing to do with you, but what you can do is create this series of lighthouses that they can relate to, people who they can go to when you're not around or talk to you about things that they're not able to talk to you about. Very much so. I totally agree with that. I've mm. I've always tried to say to my my guys, you know, if there's something that's upsetting you, if there's something you need to talk about and you can't talk to me, even though it kills me, it, I have to say, Karen, yes. it kills it, me that they wouldn't come to me. Does. But course, I've always tried to say to them, you know, you've got your auntie there, you've got, you know, yeah. your granny, you've yeah. got, you know, this, that and the other person that you can go and you can have a chat and a natter with. But then that's the yeah. thing as well, is one of the things that it was actually my very wise grandmother uh, took me to pieces. I know, you see, and gra- <laughs> grandmothers, like she's my grandmother, yeah. obviously my kid's great-grandmother, and they had gone to her and complained about me. <laughs> so I got I got my ear chewed off, and she yeah. said to me, very wise words, she said, you always tear in there and you're trying to solve problems when all they want is for you to listen. They don't want you solving yeah. the problems. And I thought, what words of wisdom. Yeah. With teenagers, it's not always that they're telling you something because we're so used as parents whenever they're tiny to fix everything for them. Mm. But as teenagers, when they're telling you problems, sometimes it's just a listening ear that they want. Absolutely. We've got to hand over responsibility to them to solve their own problems. Within reason, there are sometimes some things we need to take control of. But, you know, we want to create fully functioning adults. And people who can look after us in our old age. So, you know, we've, we, we've got to hand over responsibility to them. So, you know, when they're in primary school, we let them solve little problems. As they become in their early teens, we let them solve bigger problems. And 
if they make mistakes, we help them uh, learn from that. But we're gradually handing over responsibility to them. You know, and in simple terms, if you're, you know, if your twelve year old is hanging out in the street with their friends of an evening, you let them stay out until nine o'clock, shall we say? You know, when they're fourteen, you let them stay out until ten o'clock. You know, when they're sixteen, you let them out stay out till eleven o'clock. When they get to eighteen, you hope they leave the house and don't come back. You know, but you're you're sort of you're gradually handing over responsibility to them. If we are too protective and too controlling, it gives them something to bang their head against. You know, and I don't want my children banging their head against me. I want them to be able to come to me for help. So I want them to know that I trust them to make mistakes and solve their own problems. You know, I don't want to have arguments over everything. I know it's hard, but it can be hard to to release the reins. That I'm definitely that's something that I find most hard, yeah. and I have to be yeah. very conscious about doing it because I think that's the thing as well. Is at that age, I think they're they're meant to be naturally starting to to pull away from us a wee bit, aren't they? Yeah. So that they can they, fly they the nest. It is natural. And a lot of the parents I talk to, I think that's the thing they struggle with most. Mm-hmm. They know they expect their teenagers to argue and to be a bit offhand and, and it's but it's the I think a lot of parents almost feel like it's a betrayal. You know, they almost feel like a sense of loss. You know, my my cuddly little child who who crawled up on my knee and asked me to read them a story is now this hurry individual who smells peculiarly and only has one word which is uh, they feel this sort of sense of betrayal and and loss and uh and i think you know we've got to manage that as adults and be aware of that and not let that get in the way of our relationships you know if you know if i am sad or depressed or angry or frustrated at what my my child is doing i've got to keep remembering that i love this child and i will love this child and i shouldn't expect them to be something that I think they should be. I should help them to discover who they want to be. Uh, and that's difficult. It's really hard. So yeah. if you do, if you're sitting at home and you have mm. uh, 90% of your conversations through a door, <laughs> yes. you know, where do you start then, Karen? How, how do you start to change that? Or should you be starting to change that? I guess that's the question as well. I think you, you've got to accept that they may communicate in a way that is not the way you would communicate. So for example, with my sons, you know, I like a lot of verbal communication, but I found that they communicated me a lot more freely using WhatsApp and other text providers are available <laughs> using WhatsApp. So they would tell me stuff and message me stuff that they would never say to me. So I found that was a really useful, a useful route. I also found asking them rather than telling them uh, was better. And, and I, I, and somebody said this to me, try and avoid the why question. So ask them, you know, how are you going to do that? And what are you going to do? And when are you going to do it? And where are you going to do it? You know, those questions, I tended to get more response from them, wherever I say, why are you doing that? It was almost like an accusation and it gave them something to react against. But I find use of humor is really good, you know, uh, not sarcasm. Sarcasm is is antagonistic, but but humor we can both get around. There, there's a great book by Quentin Blake, which is called Zagazoo. Uh, and Quentin Blake was the guy who uh, illustrated all the Roald Dahl books. Uh, so this is his, one of his own books and the drawings in it are absolutely amazing. And it it basically follows the life course of, of a child and his parents from this cute little bundle through this this dragon who burns everything in the house <laughs> through to this thing that gets hurrier and hurrier and loses the power of speech until he comes out the other end as a relatively normal individual. And having a book like that and able to sort of sit down with, with your children and talk them through it, it it's, it's a humorous way of, of bringing to the surface what's going on in our family. And children can relate to, oh, yeah, there are times I'm that dragon and there are times that I'm that hairy, smelly kid. It does what social workers will use this term called externalizing, 
which it, it makes the problem outside of us so it's easier to talk about. So it's not personal. So it's not my anger. It's the anger. You know, and this book allows us to externalize and, and talk about something that is not us, but we can relate to, uh, if, you, if you know what I mean. I totally do. That makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a bit like um, I showed my uh, teenagers, you know, the Kevin, the teenager clip. Yes. <laughs> <You know>? Yes. <laughs> the Harry Enfield clip where he goes yeah, to bed yeah. and he's this 12 year old happy sort of, yeah. oh, night, night, mommy, I'm off to bed. I'll see you in the morning. <laughs> and then whenever he comes on, he's like, oh, nobody yeah, understands yeah. me. Like this horrendous, like change that has yeah. taken overnight. Yeah. And I remember showing that to, to my kids, both of them at different stages and, you know, yeah. us having a laugh over it for that same reason, you know, just trying to have yeah. some sort of bridge where you can laugh at and sort of almost also recognize Absolutely. where you're at. Yeah, I think it gives us something that we can get we can get around that is outside of us. And also, I think as parents, if you want to get your children to communicate, get them to communicate about things that they're interested in. Both my sons were really into, into astronomy and astrophysics and physics, and I know nothing about that stuff. So I, I used to get myself like the idiot's guide to physics, you know, those yellow dummies guide to physics, <laughs> those yellow dummies guides. And I would, I would flick through a couple of pages just before dinner time. I'd flick through a couple of pages and learn a couple of words. And over the dinner table, I would say, what about that quantum malarkey? And they would go off on one and they would tell me about all of this stuff that they were interested in. Uh, and I, I still don't know anything about it, but it kept the, the communication open. So they may not be interested in things we're interested in, but if we can reach out and get them to teach us, you know, so, for example, there's a lot of stuff on in the news at the minute about TikTok and and some of the the, the how it's influencing children's behaviour. So, for example, you know, yeah, vandalism of toilets, etc. You know, asking your children what they think about that uh, gives us a way into having a conversation about things that they can relate to, and by getting them to relate to things, we can relate to them. When our children are little, we tend to dictate the agenda. But when they get to their teenage years, they want to dictate the agenda. So let them. Let them dictate the agenda. Let them teach us. Try not to use the language they use because you just come across looking like an old fart. (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing more humiliating as as a teenager laughing at you because of the language you're using. So stick to your own terms, but let them express themselves in the way that that they want to. Although I have to admit, there are times whenever I will say things like that. You know, I'll talk about, you know, TikTok or whatever, just to see my Uh, kids do those incredible (laughs) eye rolls that nobody outside of the ages of 13 to 19 can do, where their eyes literally roll into the back of their heads almost in disgust. We'll be back in just a minute after this short message from the ParentLine team. ParentLine NI is a free confidential service offering advice, support and guidance on any parenting matter. If you would like some support with any of the issues raised in today's podcast or any other parenting issue, please call the ParentLine team today on free phone 0808 8020 400 or check out our Facebook page for more information. Now, on with the show. I, there's one thing as well, actually, that I want to talk to you about as well, because we're talking here about teenagers. It's quite a broad brush, because really it we're is. talking about an age between sort of 12 and up to 19. I mean, that's a big old whack of time and a lot of differences within yeah. that. You're probably actually, you're probably talking for a longer period of time because puberty is starting earlier, particularly in girls. So you're probably talking a time period of starting at about eight or nine. And even if puberty hasn't started at eight or nine, some of the social media influences that our children are exposed to at an earlier age can trigger behavioral changes that you would associate with adolescence. Mm -hmm. 
And and we know from the from I mentioned earlier on about that brain restructuring, often it doesn't stop until the mid twenties. So you're talking about a period of sort of nine to maybe twenty-four, you know, twenty-three, twenty-four. Not in every young person. It, it's different for every child. But I noticed with, with my own sons, they're in their mid-twenties now. But it, you know, it was really only when they were sort of twenty-three, twenty-four that I could have a relatively civil conversation with them without them trying to push my buttons or without me pushing their buttons. But now they're, I mean, they're amazing guys and, and I, and I love spending time with them. But there were times when it was a bit, you know, even knowing this stuff, it was a bit fractious. Cause I think when you're emotionally involved with your children and you've got a stake in your children, you know, it's very easy for them to trigger you and it's very easy for you to trigger them. You know, that old saying, we always hurt the ones we love. You know, when we know what each other's buttons are, it's very easy to push them. As a social worker, it's very easy to give advice to people of how to manage their children. But when you're actually in that. <laughs> You know, it's really hard. You know, it's really hard. And I would tell people, you know, have a look in the mirror someday and look at yourself and think to yourself, what might my child say to me that would trigger me and be prepared for it? Because they know you really well. They may know you better than you know yourself and they will find things to say that will yank your chain. You know, so be prepared for that. And if you are prepared for it, you can manage your own feelings. And if you can manage your own feelings, then you're a better tool in that relationship. Once you lose control of your own feelings, then the thing starts to cycle out of control. You see, if we uh, look at that big, wide age group, are there different mm-hmm. ways when we should be coming at talking to teens within that age group, if you know what I mean? Is the communication yeah. different within that? Yeah, I think so. Uh, most people will talk about three phases. So the early phase is the early stages of puberty when there is, where it's almost like an emotional roller coaster. So in that stage, you know, we maybe need to think that negotiation and rational thinking, rationalizing with our children is not necessarily a useful strategy, but just being available emotionally for them. They still want lots of hugs. They will still run to us uh, when, when they're distressed. You know, when their friendships break down, their world is coming to an end. It may not be important to us, but it's really important to them. So for that early stage, it's it's giving them information about what's going on in their body. It's coping with their embarrassment, not being embarrassed ourselves, being honest uh, about what's going on, being a good role model for them and letting them know that it went on for us as well. So emotions and hormones would be the early stages. The middle bit, then it tends to be more about relationships. Uh, so their friends start to become more important than us. Romance and sex starts to become more important in the middle bit. Uh, you get a lot more risk taking in in the middle bit, and a lot more black and white thinking. So in nuts, uh, then we we're gradually handing over problem solving to our teenagers. We're avoiding getting sucked into arguments. We are available for those emotional fallouts. Uh, we don't criticize their tribe. You know, uh, we you know we point them in the direction of of other people who can help them and support them. And then the latter stage uh, in the sort of late teens, uh, early twenties. That's when they're starting to grow into their adult shoes. They will begin to have a more balanced relationship between us and their friends. You know, they will start to re-engage with us. And sometimes I think as a parent, when we get to that stage, sometimes what we need to do is to forget some of the grief that went on earlier on so that we can be available and rebuild that relationship with our adult teenagers, for want of a better word. That can be hard, but though, you know, it depends if, if you know, sometimes words get thrown out by teenagers. Yeah. It's like you say, you know, we're going back to that button pushing thing. Mm-hmm. You know, they know the right yeah. words to throw out. And sometimes yeah. if they throw out words, you know, they can't quite be forgotten at times. You know, I, I know people yeah. who, who, you know, Oh yeah, have been yeah. quite badly scarred by things that their, their teenagers have said yeah. to them. You know those old Tom and Jerry cartoons where, 
where Tom would catch Jerry and he'd be about to hit Jerry with a mallet with the word Acme on it, you know. <laughs> and uh, and then a little a little angel would appear on one of Tom's shoulders and a little devil would appear on the other on the other shoulder. You know, some in situations like that when people say things and do things, often it's the little devil within us, the the thing that wants to retaliate, that wants vengeance, that wants justice, that, you know, the the emotional side of us that takes over. And I think in situations like that, what we gotta try and do is listen to the angel on our other shoulder that says things like, This is your child. You know, this is your daughter, this is your son. You know, you're going to spend a lifetime with this person. You've invested a lot in this person. Put things in perspective, you know, and I think we need to listen to the angel in times like that and keep an emotional distance from these situations and remind ourselves that, you know, this too will pass. I, I don't mean that we, we forget those insults and, 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 and the bad behavior. We don't forget that, but there's no point in dealing with it when things are emotionally volatile you know, we deal with it when our relationship is more stable and secure. So sometimes what we need to do is swallow it, keep an emotional distance. And then when things calm down, go to our child and at a quieter moment and say, look, what you said earlier on hurt me. You know, what you said earlier on had an impact on me. Can we talk about it? And that's being a good role model. And it's, you know, it's modeling for our children that we talk stuff out rather than act it out. But there's no point in getting sucked into this sort of cycle of crisis because we're both going to walk away feeling really bad and our relationship is going to suffer as a consequence. Sometimes we need to l- listen to Tom's angel and just take a, take a step back and go, I'll deal with this later. I think there's sort of three words always stick in my mind uh, to help me do that. And one is, what's the intention here? What's my child's intention? Is there intention to hurt me or is there intention to show me how they feel? Okay. Are they out of control? Is it the survival part of their brain that's kicking in rather than the thinking part of their brain? So what's, what's their real intention here? Not, and, and what's my perception? And how far are my feelings and my despair and my anger influencing my perception? So if I find myself saying things like, you know, he knows exactly what he's doing, then I am perceiving this as a personal assault, where if I take a step back and go, my child's in their teenage years, they're struggling, uh, there may be things going on in their life I'm not I'm not aware of, then I can put things in perspective. And I think the third word that we need to remember is what's the impact? What's the real impact? This is going to blow over. And what I want is to preserve my relationship, not to exaggerate the impact here because I feel bad. Yeah. Um, so what's, what's the child's intention? How does my perception influence this? And am I over-exaggerating the real impact here? It might be noisy. There might be tears. They might be using bad language. You know, but the sun's going to come up tomorrow and I'm still going to love this child tomorrow. So maybe what I need to do is put this impact into some sort of perspective. I also think there's a big thing that you have to always hold in your head as well, is that whatever you do, however you respond to them is how they're going to learn to respond as well to others around them and, you know, in the future. So it's that kind of modeling thing, isn't it? Of, of as hard as it may be to, to bite back, chow down (laughs) and, you know, present the kind of, the way that you want them to be able to handle stressful situations and conversations. Not everything has to be a battle or a negotiation. Sometimes we can't walk away. I think you're absolutely, absolutely right. I want my child to behave the way I would want myself to behave. You know, which means I've got to manage myself as a role model in in, in those situations. You know, and uh, I'm not underestimating. We can be trite about this and we can minimize it. It's really tough when it's happening and it's emotionally very distressing. So I would say to people, you know, use your own supports. You know, talk to you know your partners, your family, friends, your grandmother, you know, your grandparents. You know, other people have gone through this. Use your supports. You know, you're not on your own and. 
you know, you can't keep drinking out of an empty glass. And if life with your teenager is difficult, then find some way of filling that that glass up. You know, take some time to yourself. Go for walks. Do some exercise. Look after your own mental well-being. Treat yourself. And tell people, you know, vent, rant, use parent line and rant down the phone. People shouldn't feel on their own, but sometimes I think we do feel on our own and we feel embarrassed talking to our friends that we because we feel we're failing our own children. And it's not a failure. It's a journey. And you got to keep remembering that, you know, it's a process, it's a journey, and we will come out the other end. Most of us will come out the other end. <laughs> and and it is, like you say, it's a journey that everybody's walked yeah. down. You know, yeah. nobody has ha- gone through from the day dot when they brought them home from hospital till they launched them out into the world to do whatever they were doing without a single bad word between people. You know, that yeah. that just doesn't happen. No, no. You know, that's that's like the Waltons. Yeah. No family's like the Waltons. <laughs> even you know? they had a and riot too, the, Yeah. <laughs> even in the latter stages when, when the series got a bit weird, you know, it's just like, you know, nothing's, nothing is always sweet. Uh, you know, but we, but so I think sometimes we want our friends and our family to think that life with us mm. is sweet and harmonious, and it's not, and it shouldn't be. Our children have to learn how to deal with conflict and how to deal with troubles, just like we have to learn. And you know, we shouldn't overprotect them or pretend that everything's all right. You know, I think you know, we you deal with problems, you put things in perspective, you remember the sun's going to come up tomorrow, and you use the networks and resources that you have available to yourself. And there is nothing as therapeutic as a good rant. And don't be embarrassed about ranting to your friends about your own children. It is very therapeutic. I should also say, if your children are ranting, let them rant. It's a really useful tool because it gives us lots of information. When they rant and when they vent, it gives us lots of information about them. They're probably about as honest as they're going to be when they're venting. And if we can bite our tongue and listen and make all the right noises, they will start to regulate themselves. It's like like an overinflated balloon, you know, when they start to rant and vent, the air is going out of the balloon. And at the same time, we're getting lots of information. So yeah, the rant, rants are really good. They're embarrassing if they happen in public, but they're, they're really useful. But you have to, that is the problem, but is you have to, you know, you can't, both of you work up to that, you know, almost exploding level. You know, if one of you is at that level, <laughs> the other one has to try and stay, stay flat, <laughs> stay calm. Yes. It's like somebody's got to be the adult in the room and hopefully it will be the adult. (laughs) Well, here's a question for you as well. How do you manage whenever you have got, now I have got one of these. I have got one teenager Mm. who wears his heart on his sleeve. I know everything that goes on that boy because he tells me and it'll explode and then it'll be gone in seconds. And then I've got another teenager and she's the absolute opposite where she's like a deep well. So it's not Mm. that she would rant or rave or you know Mm. howl at the moon it's literally like you have to get like a needle in a whelk to get any information you know that's that's the problem I have with her is it's just so well hidden in there (laughs) it's very hard to get out you know yeah I think children are going to be different I had twins right and you expect them to be identical but they were very different one of them played his cards very close to his chest and the other one was a bit more forthright you know, so children, children do, you know, adapt different strategies and it doesn't necessarily mean that something's wrong. I always think when I mentioned earlier on about asking questions, I think it's really good to ask questions about feelings or to label the feelings. So if you're, you know, for example, if your daughter is, is being quiet or reserved, sort of things like, you know, you look like you're really happy or you look like you're quite calm. And rather than ask her about the detail of her life, label the feeling and see how she responds to that. How does she respond to the feelings? So then she might tell you why she feels calm or why she's she's being secretive. Or, you know, If we go in and say, you know, you're very quiet, 
then the, the shutters will go down. But if we say, you you seem quite relaxed, you know, I'm feeling, I'm picking up from you're quite relaxed, then maybe they will talk about the feeling rather than the detail because feelings are safe to talk about sometimes because mommy and daddy are not being inquisitive about who I'm seeing or what I'm thinking. They're just interested in how I feel and feel in uh, that type of conversation. The feeling can be quite neutral. I think it's that thing as well where, you know, I, I find it quite hard with her in that my son does tell me everything and he's he's very much very similar personality to myself. So he's a talker. Mm. Him and I like to talk. And she's such <laughs> a quiet soul that she's not like that. And that's quite hard for me to accept the fact that she doesn't actually want me to know everything about her life. And that's okay. Mm. You know, but that, that's okay. that that's grand. I'm saying that's grand, but in my head, the illogical part of my head is like, but I want to know. You know? I know, I know. Yeah. But and you want to know because you would tell. Yes, the, exactly. Your personality, exactly. You would tell. I don't understand yeah. why yeah. you wouldn't tell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but she's different than you. And she may be different because she has seen how her brother reacts and she has developed a different strategy in order to get attention. So he gets attention from talking yeah. and she gets attention from being quiet. Children don't grow up in isolation. They respond to each other. They do, you know, the child who gets attention for being attention seeking can sort of dominate the airwaves within a family. So other children have got to find other ways to to be different and to get attention. And that might be through being studious, being good at sport, or being being quiet and reserved. It's the, the only sort of, as long as she knows that the door is open for a conversation when she needs it, then I wouldn't worry too much. You know, she's just, she's just different than you. Yeah. Oh, no, I, yeah. I, I think it's yeah. taken me a while, and it has. I mean, she's now 15, yeah. almost 16, and it's taken me yeah. probably the first few years of teenagerhooddom yeah. to kind of figure that out, that, you know, yeah. your little people are not replicas of you. They are, no. they are very, very different, and you have to no. stand back and let them, them do it their way. Yeah. You could always lurk in her social media and <laughs> find out that way. <laughs> she has me blocked. I, by the way, I've I, tried that. I, <laughs> to be somebody else. <laughs> no, I've sent out a friend request here. Denied. And it's uh, like, okay. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Uh, uh. <laughs> no, I, I got away with that when my sons were, were very young, but uh, but then they got to a stage where they realized, you know, it's embarrassing having dad as your, you know, as your social media friend. So they set up their, their separate accounts that I didn't know about. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> But I totally agree with you about the being able to communicate um, digitally. I mean, having mobile phones mm. and stuff takes a lot of flack in the media, you know, about kids' mm. mobile phones. But I have found mm. that that method of communication is fantastic for somebody like her who who would rather write things down in communication yeah. terms rather than than say it outright. Yeah, I think mobile technology is is a really useful tool. I mean, I would advise people about the the risks associated with it. And I think we should be talking to our children about it lots yeah, and lots and absolutely. lots. But but it's a really useful tool. I've got to the point now where my sons will will share pictures with me, which they wouldn't have done in the past. But even when they were teenagers, they would have sent me messages, you know, and, uh, and I would say, OK, look, you know, I, I don't need you to ring me and tell me where you are. I just need a message at some point in the night just saying everything's good, Dad. Yeah. And that was about as much as I got from them, but it you know it kept the doors open. And, you know, I think mobile technology is 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 incredible. You know, it is really it's a useful tool if it's managed properly. And Karen, I guess that's what it all comes down to with communicating with teenagers is just keep those doors open, whatever means, whatever way, however you can do it, keep those doors open. Mm, yeah, Vivian McCombie, who used to be the chief executive of the Voice of Young People in Care, I, I heard her speak at a conference one time, and she talked about a golden thread connecting you know, us to the children that we work with or the children that we parent. And we've got to try and keep that 
that golden thread, that, that connection, so that they can find their way to us and they know that we're still connected to them. You know, and there are times that, that that golden thread is put under strain, but we should really try and avoid snapping it or cutting it, you know, because it's very hard to, for children to find their way back to us once we cut that thread. So, you know, my child can call me all the names of the day, but they're still my child. And uh, and I've got to keep that connection. And at some point, we'll have a conversation about the names they call me. But just for now, it's about being here for you, being safe for you, being reliable, being consistent, and being a good role model. Karen, thank you so much. That was a, a great chat today. I really appreciate you um, taking the time to have a natter with me. And I think you've really given me a lot to think about, about going away and even just communicating with my own kids. So thank you for that. Absolute pleasure. Good luck with the struggle. Yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs>